It's Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented by Chief. Here's your host, Matt Derry. It's an all-star game, an all-star weekend edition of Wire the Pistons podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening and tuning in on this snowy midweek as we get you ready for all-star weekend. And really, what's going on in the East and the West and where the Pistons sit at the break at 19 and 38? We'll talk about it with ESPN NBA reporter. You see him on the sidelines. You see him hosting and co-hosting The Jump on ESPN. George Sedano will join me momentarily to talk about Pistons basketball, the rebuild the state of the team, and where things are right now heading into 2020-2021 next year. We're already talking about next year. I was actually talking to somebody the other day about the Pistons, and they said, well, 12 home games left. That's it. We're already into mid to late February here, and the season uh, wrapping up. But Detroit at 19-38, and 38, we all saw what happened on Wednesday night. Pistons are shorthanded. They've been shorthanded all year, and they kind of did what, They've always done here under Dwayne Casey, and that they fight, they battle. Young guys got some run last night. Galloway hits the big three to send the game to overtime for the Pistons. Just sort of uh, petered out in overtime and lost to the Orlando Magic. And if you're a fan of the ping pong balls and and tanking, which really you know the Pistons are going to play to win, and they did last night. I, I think you're seeing a, a good set uh, setting of a foundation now that Andre Drummond is gone and that contracts off the books of. Of young guys, and they're going to have to bring some veterans back next year to go with the young pieces. I know Seku has been very up and down lately, and there's been some talk about him going to to the G League. I, I, I want to see the kid up here. I like him. Uh, we'll ask George about him. I, I really enjoy watching him play. He's 19. You know, he's so raw and so young. He's the youngest player in the league. He went from probably not going to see the floor all year to now at times starting games for Detroit. And while this has been a painful year, and while the team is 19 games below 500, I think that the end of this season stretch here is going to be fun to see how some of these young guys grow. Christian Wood's been a monster and has continued to play very, very well now with the absence of Andre Drummond. Uh, you throw in there Bruce Brown and Svi and Seku and some others. There's some things to look forward to down the road and, and into the future. Well, let's check in with ESPN NBA reporter, host. You see him all over the place, George Sedano here for All-Star Weekend. Pistons, of course, at the break right now, sitting at 19-38. and 38. Let's get George's thoughts on the state of Detroit and the state of NBA. What's up, sir? Hey, brother. How are you? Doing all right, George. Uh, your schedule's been crazy, huh? Getting a little break now. You deserve it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it is nice to have a few days off. I love the travel. I love covering the games. But uh, every once in a while, Mrs. Sedano would like to see me. So it's uh, it's nice to be home for a little bit. <laughs> I don't think there's any question about it. All right. Let's get into the Pistons. Obviously, the biggest maneuver here over the last week is the trade of Andre Drummond. From the people that you talked to around the league, what was the reaction? Um, I think the reaction was that they expected him to move. I think the destination was the surprise, right? Like, I don't think people thought Cleveland would make that move. Um, but I guess from their perspective, it does make some sense, right? Like, it's not like they're going to be attracting free agents at any point anytime soon. So, you know, you might as well invest in him. You got him, like, you can get him for a year potentially, right? In theory, if he opts in. Um, and then you know, you can make a long-term commitment. But I think for them, it probably is best suited to make the long-term commitment because they've got these young guys. Um, they're going to need someone to kind of be a veteran on that team. And and he's been, uh, you know, 
on a team in Detroit that's been a playoff team before, so he does have some experience. I just question what his fit is moving forward in today's NBA. You know, when you look at where the Pistons are, obviously it's a fiscal move, and as you mentioned, the, the haul back wasn't much. So from a Detroit standpoint, and you know this going back to your, your heat days on the radio, and I mean, Joe Dumars, going back all those days, he, the Pistons really have never committed to a full-fledged rebuild. It's been a long, long time, and I know that's kind of where the game is going, where you don't want to be in that, that middle spot, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I remember those uh, those Joe Dumar years after after the Chauncey Rip years. He gave away, remind me, he gave Ben Gordon a big contract, right? Yeah. the other contract he gave? Charlie Villanueva. Charlie Villanueva, yeah. And, yeah, it, that, that certainly did not uh, bode well uh, for you guys. <laughs> no. Uh, but, but, yeah, you're right. And, and it, it's time to do it. Look, I love Dumboya's upside. I think that you just play the kid. You see what you've got there. Um, he's clearly very raw. But we've seen some glimpses there, even even this season already, of what that could be. And I like the fact that Thorn Maker's getting some run. I mean, he's a guy we've been hearing about for years. He's played pretty, he's played pretty decently over the last couple of games. He's putting up decent numbers. I, I just think that at this point, just go. Um, you know, find out what you've got in those guys and, and do it right. Because here's the thing. If you try to go halfway on a rebuild, you got to make sure you have the right infrastructure to make that happen. The Celtics have made that happen a while back when Danny Ainge was kind of going through the rebuild and they were still a playoff team. Miami has done it, maybe not as good as the Celtics, but they've been able to do it fairly quickly. Um, while trying to stay competitive. But it just doesn't happen all that often where teams can do that and stay competitive. George Sedano with me from ESPN. You know, you mentioned the Heat, and obviously you covered that team for a long time, and how they're doing it and their system is pretty darn good. But it's it's player development, a lot of it. When you could take a guy like Tyler Hero, the people didn't think were ready, it was ready, and he's been really good, Kendrick Nunn and others, and guys that – uh, that they've developed. I think the Pistons feel like the same thing. They got some young guys. They like their player development staff. Those those dudes that sit on that second row of the bench, George, pretty important, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. And you know, mining the G League is really important, Matt. Like I think that's something that gets overlooked a ton. Um, and you got to be able to utilize that. You mentioned Kendrick Nunn. Um, let's not forget Duncan Robinson, who's got the fifth most three-pointers made in the NBA this season. This was a kid who was a sixth man at Michigan, <laughs> and and he's now a guy who's a full-fledged starter with the Heat and flourishing on a team that is a top-four seed in the Eastern Conference right now. So, yeah, player development is unbelievably important. And when you look at teams that do it right, Miami's clearly one, San Antonio's another, and the champs, Toronto. Look at what Toronto's done with Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, even uh, Chris Boucher, who's on their roster now. All these are guys who were on the Raptors 905 squad who have been able to contribute. And when you have that kind of synergy between the G League club and the big club where they run the same systems and you know you can bring guys back and forth, it makes a world of difference. And I think that's part of it. Uh, for the Pistons and really any organization. But you're right. They do have some young guys that, you, you know, I like. I think Brown is a good player. Um, I, I don't know if he's a starting caliber player on a championship-level type team eventually, but he's too young at this point to really figure that out. But you got to give him some some run to find out what he's made of. Um, and, you know, Steve McHiluk is another player. Like, you've got a lot of these guys on this roster that I think have real potential in one way, shape, or form, and can be 
in a nine-man rotation on a good club. You just got to find out where they fit. You were out in L.A. You're out in L.A. That that, that deal kind of went under the radar last year when the Lakers wanted Reggie Bullock and took him in for the remainder of the season. And you're right, Svi is this underrated guy that, you're right, second-round pick. I know the Laker fans kind of liked him, and he lit up the G League, but those are the type of players you have to develop in a city like ours that is not maybe a free agent destination, right? There's no question. And that kid's got real skill. I, I did a couple of those summer league games that he played in, and it was just, like, incredible. He was easily, like, I, I think I might have voted for him, if I recall correctly, two seasons ago. I think I voted for him on the all-summer league team. If not, he made my second team. But he was just lights out um, the way he could shoot the ball. And in this league, we just mentioned Duncan Robinson a second ago, the kid from Michigan who plays with Miami now. I mean, that is a skill set that you need. It is the lifeblood of your team. And it's also on the coaches, too, right, in today's NBA, to get these guys the looks that they need to be able to, to flourish and compete with these teams that have guys who can shoot the ball from anywhere on the floor. So having a guy like that is important. And it's important for Dwayne, who I think is a good coach, to make sure that he gets him the right amount of opportunities in the game to, to be able to harness that skill. George, what about Christian Wood, unrestricted free agent, kind of taking over that five spot with Andre Drummond gone. The other night he had 26 and 12. He's come on. For for, for you know salary cap geeks and stuff out there, I mean, what is – what kind of a contract do the Pistons have to, to offer him to keep him this summer? Man, it's going to be weird. Like, I don't have an answer for that, Matt, because it's such a strange offseason, right? So most teams that are contenders are going to want to kind of hold back on spending this season. At least they're going to try to do one-year deals because they all want to be in the free agent class of 21 when you could have Giannis and Kawhi and Paul George and even LeBron potentially and a couple of other big-name guys. So this offseason, I think you're going to see teams that don't feel like they're a year or two away. Um, They're going to be the teams that are probably going to spend some money. But, you know, there's not that many of those teams out there. So I I don't have a real idea. All it takes is one, right, to say we think this guy is going to be the future and we'll give him whatever max it is for his particular – uh, status in the league, right? Because we all know it's based on years of service. So do I think he's going to get a max for his um, years of service? No. Um, but again, all it takes is one team to get wild here, and all of a sudden everything gets thrown out of whack. I think he's clearly at least a eight-figure player guy, right? Like, Or, or excuse me, a seven-figure player guy per year. I think that that's, that's what he's capable of. Um yeah, sorry, I met, I was right the first time. Eight figures, right? I think he's a ten to twelve million dollar player in a perfect world. I just don't know what to expect this offseason because of just the strangeness of teams holding back for twenty one. George Sedano from ESPN with me here on the uh, Pistons podcast. Wired, uh, tell me about when you look at a rebuild now. And I asked Ed Stefanski this the other day, and he like cut me off and said. I don't know, and I don't have an answer, but how long does a rebuild in the East take, maybe compared to the West, where, again, you look at the East, and it's better at the top, but only six teams above 500, and the rest, even the two playoff teams, Brooklyn and Orlando, below 500. Yeah, I mean, I guess it all depends, right? Like, Like, can you get an impact player in this draft? People say it's not a great draft. Look, I mean, even in bad drafts, you can find a guy or two. I remember, uh, you know, 
a guy named Giannis was in a bad draft, right? Victor Oladipo was in a bad draft. Like, you could still find guys who can be impactful. Um, they may not be impactful in year one or two or even three, but they can be impactful moving forward from that. And that's all on your scouting department. But, look, I look at the 7-8 and eight spot in the Eastern Conference, and I know Brooklyn will be better next year because they have Kevin Durant. Um, but there's at least one playoff spot, I think, available in the Eastern Conference next year. So if you do things right, it could be only a year or two. Uh, but it just depends on what type of players you can get in the draft, how you can fill out the rest of that roster. I mentioned Dwayne. He's a good coach, man. Like, And he's been through a rebuild, right? Like He went through Toronto. He took them over when they were just okay um, and got them to a level where they were on the precipice of being a championship-caliber team, um, and then he was gone. So I think he's the type of guy you want to have to see it through. But, look, you can compete quickly in the Eastern Conference because that eight spot should be open. The other seven spots, they're probably spoken for in some way, shape, or form. It's just a matter of the order. But it is the playoffs are attainable in the Eastern Conference even within a year or two. What about the Derrick Rose situation? Uh, Stefanski saying last week, hey, we want to keep this veteran around. He's good for the young guys. I know there was some talk about Lakers and other teams being interested. Uh, how, how surprised are you that, that he's still here, or are you not? I am a little bit surprised. Um, I thought he'd be gone. I thought that he'd be at a contender. Um, clearly, they didn't get what they wanted for him. I mean, there was a lot of talk about first round, a first-round pick. Um, considering what Robert Covington got, now Robert Covington is a little more analytics-friendly this day and age, and the Rockets, I think, will will reap the benefits of that. Um, but there are a lot of teams that need bench scoring. I thought the Lakers were going to make a move on Derrick Rose. The problem was the Lakers just don't have the assets. Uh, they don't really have a first-round pick that they can give up. They have this year's first-round pick, but they don't have any more after that, basically, because of the Stepien rule that they that they can utilize in a in a trade. Um, but I did think that he would be there. Um, I, you know, could he be a buyout candidate? I, I guess, right? Like, there are probably a number of guys on that roster that can be a buyout candidate. Reggie Jackson, obviously, is someone everyone's talking about, too. So, um, but I, to answer your question, yeah, I am a little surprised he wasn't traded. I would have gotten something as opposed to nothing in that spot. He, he's been fantastic. I don't think he's obviously going anywhere and, and and look he and Blake Griffin and you know this even in a rebuild you want guys with good attitudes veterans that yeah they're making some hefty salaries maybe not necessarily Derek Rose but I think those two guys can be pretty darn good soldiers next year and teach some of these young guys how to play a little bit yeah for sure and you know Blake and Derek are both at the stage of their careers where they can do that I, again I was just stunned that he's there only because I thought somebody that was a contender would go after him um and, or at least with enough that would make Ed want to make a move. Um, clearly not the case. But, yeah, look, I think you can remain relatively competitive with Blake and Derek and a bunch of young guys. That bottom of the East is not good. Um, you know, it, do you trust anyone there? Like, do you trust Washington? Do you trust Chicago? Do you trust Charlotte? We sure as hell don't trust the Knicks. I, I don't even need to ask you that question. <laughs> um, you know, Atlanta, I guess, could be on, on the come up. And I think Cleveland is still a ways away. Um, so, yeah, like I could see them in Orlando and, and, and those teams I mentioned being possibilities for the eighth seed or at least knocking on the door. And for a young team, I think that's important. If you can just find a way to get in without wrecking your future, then I think that that pays dividends down the road. All right, when you look at the East in the first round, or I should say the first half of the season being done, more than half worth the All-Star break, anything stand out? Is this definitely Milwaukee as a lock or 
Is Toronto going to go back? Milwaukee's a lock. Yeah, I, I don't think that. I know they're great in the regular season, but Bud, by his own uh, admittance, has been a bit stubborn in the postseason when it comes to adjustments. He believes that his way is going to work. And here's the thing. I know Toronto obviously was able to do what they did to them, and not everyone has those type of guys in their rosters. But, Matt, I've seen this season where teams that are nowhere near as talented as Toronto was, like San Antonio and Golden State, stay in games with Milwaukee. Granted, it's just the regular season. And they've just employed the similar strategy that Toronto did. We're going to build a bleeping wall and try our best to not let Giannis get in the paint, and we'll take our chances with the other guys. And over a seven-game series, there's a lot of variance there, and, and that may not work if you're Milwaukee. And there's a reason that teams like Miami made the moves they made to add Iguodala and Jay Crowder, and they were trying to get Gallinari because they feel that Milwaukee is vulnerable. So they're adding guys that can, they can throw at Giannis. They already had Jimmy Butler. They already had Bam Adebayo, who's defended Giannis in a regular season game this year. They feel like they can make a move. Clearly, Toronto, we know, feels like they can make a move. Their defense is fantastic. Boston is in that conversation. Philly literally built their team, Matt, to, uh, to to try to beat Milwaukee. Their problem is the roster construction stinks when it comes to trying to get to Milwaukee. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're one and one against Milwaukee, but they got to get there first. But, yeah, there are plenty of teams in the East that feel like they've got a shot at this thing. And so I don't think that they're necessarily a lock come playoff time. All right, where are you on the Lakers? Are they uh, – I hate to use the word lock because I already, I already used that word up, but – where, where are you with them? Obviously, a four-game cushion over Denver. Saw the, the game last night, the win in overtime, where AD and LeBron did their thing. But how do you view the West, and are the Lakers going to the finals? It's a two-team race. It's the two L.A. teams, Matt. Um, Denver's a nice team. They're still a little bit a ways away to being a championship contender. If Michael Porter Jr. turns into the guy that they expect him to turn into, to be a 20-10 and 10 type guy, and you can just go to him when you need a bucket, then all of a sudden they're in the championship conversation. But until that happens, I just don't see it. Even as good as Mike Malone is as a coach, or excuse me, Michael Malone. I, he goes by Michael these days. That's right. And I don't want to. I don't want to do that to him. Um, I think Utah is also a player away. Uh, the Rockets kind of have a little bit. I mean, maybe like a puncher's chance. You got to give them credit, right? They, they pushed the Warriors two years ago to a seventh game. They played against them again last year in six games in the Western Conference Finals, and. They're just trying to do something that's just out of the box, even for them. Um, but to me, it's a two-team race. It's the Clippers, it's the Lakers. I picked the Lakers in the beginning of the season because I still feel like Anthony Davis is a matchup the Clippers don't have someone for. But, man, they have so many guys they can throw at LeBron now, and it just makes it so tough. I don't think you can stop LeBron by any stretch of the imagination, but if you can limit him, he's the head of the snake. And when LeBron's not on the floor, which will be – less time when it comes to the postseason. I mean, he'll he'll play close to 40 minutes. Um, they drop off a cliff, Matt, and, and that's a big problem for them. And the other thing the Clippers have is they've got now five guys that they can throw out there on the floor at the same time that all shoot 36% or better from three. It's Marcus Morris, it's Kawhi, it's Paul George, it's Lou Williams, and it's Landry Shamit. If they want to go, like, super-duper small, they can throw all those guys out there and really create havoc there because how do you guard that type of team? Um, you play Marcus Morris at the five. Man, it, they are a tough, tough matchup. If they're healthy, 
it's hard for me to pick against them, but it, it's all on Anthony Davis. If Anthony Davis and Kyle Kuzma too, I want to give Kyle Kuzma um, some value here. He's the guy that struggled to kind of find his place, as most guys in that third role do on LeBron teams. The problem with him, Matt, he's nowhere near as talented as Chris Bosh or Kevin Love. But he's got a skill set as far as a scoring skill set that's concerned that maybe even those guys didn't have because he's more of a perimeter threat than those guys were. Um, it's just different than what LeBron's used to, and he's clearly struggling as a young guy in that role. If he can kind of find a way to still impact the game, and Anthony Davis can dominate by being as close to the paint as possible, I know that sounds old school, but he really is a matchup they don't have, the Clippers. The Lakers can still pull this thing out, but it's going to take those two guys um, to really help LeBron along to win that series. Marcus Morris versus LeBron in the in the conference finals would be worth the price of admission itself, just because you know the Morris twins are uh, they're entertainment. <laughs> hey man, listen, LeBron's dealt with those type of guys before. He's dealt with them before in the past when the, they were with when uh, Marcus was with Boston. And then look, you know, we remember those days when Lance Stevenson was blowing in yeah. the ear. There's always there's always somebody trying to get under LeBron's skin. All right, brother, always a, a pleasure. You're doing great work on ESPN, and appreciate the time. Matt, you got it, brother. Anytime. Thank you. My good buddy George Sedano from ESPN talking NBA as we are at the All-Star break. Hope everybody enjoys their break. Pistons, again, sitting at 19-38, and 38, uh, losers of uh, four in a row. But as I've said and I said before we had George on, I love the fact that the kids are getting an opportunity. The kids are playing, and, and it's been exciting. And we'll see what happens when this team uh, comes out of the All-Star break. You know what they have in store in terms of fight, in terms of effort, and and again, I think when people watch the team, they want to see Seku, and I know he's very very young and raw, and maybe needs a confidence booster, possibly uh, you know in Grand Rapids with the G League. We'll see. But the team gets back at it uh, a week from Thursday, February twentieth, against the Bucks, and then a West Coast trip at Portland Sunday night, at Denver Tuesday night, and at Phoenix. Uh, Friday night, February 28th, before heading to Sacramento. So this is a five-game Western swing with Portland, Denver, Phoenix, Sacramento. I should say four games, if I could count. Portland, Denver, Phoenix, Sacramento, to then come back home and play Oklahoma City and Utah March 4th and March 7th. But it all kicks back off again against Milwaukee, Thursday, February 20th at 7 o'clock. Thanks to George Sedano. Thanks to you for listening to Wired, the Pistons podcast, brought to you by Jeep. We'll be back again next week.